Welcome to the Doll Podcast. I'm your host, Louisa Maxwell. Madame Alexander has been making dolls for over 100 years. The key to her success, innovation and quality. Now, the Barry Art Museum in Norfolk, Virginia, in the United States, is recognizing Madame Alexander's contribution to the art of the doll in their exhibition entitled Fashioning Innovation, Madame Alexander at 100. My guest is Barry Museum curator Sarah Woodbury to discuss Madame Alexander's life and work. Sarah, welcome to the Doll Podcast. So for our listeners, this is a two-part podcast. In part one, Sarah and I discussed Beatrice Alexander's innovation in doll making and her business acumen, establishing a firm that has lasted for 100 years. Now we're going to explore one of my favorite elements of her work, her fashion dolls. Beatrice Alexander worked in New York and was surrounded by inspiration from the garment district of 7th Avenue and luxury department stores. So it's no surprise that Madame decided to launch her own fashion doll, and she called her Sissy. Sarah, Sissy was quite different from other dolls on the market. Sissy had the curves of a young woman and something revolutionary for 50s fashion dolls, breasts. What was the reaction when Beatrice launched Sissy at New York's Toy Fair in 1955? Well, first of all, thank you again for inviting me back. It is always a pleasure to be on here and especially to talk about a doll as influential as Sissy. So, Sissy's initial reaction when she debuted in 1955 was a bit controversial. Her quality, of course, was recognized in the construction of her clothing and her fashion and whatnot. But the fact that she was a full-figured fashion doll did provoke a lot of the critics at the time, who thought that perhaps Madame Alexander was overtly sexualizing the dolls. That was not Alexander's objective. Sissy was intended to represent a debutante. She was there to introduce the girls who played with her to young adulthood. And what better way to represent that than through the body of a maturing adolescent? And she very much intended these dolls as teaching tools. It's why when you purchased her, she arrived with a set of lingerie. She was there to teach girls how to put on these articles of clothing successfully how to put on the different layers of clothing, how to coordinate different colors, what types of fashions were suitable to different types of activities. This was very much an educational doll as well as a plaything. So although it provoked controversy at the time, and Alexander suspected it would, she she initially hesitated for a few years to debut the doll. She ultimately felt it was important. Of course, Madame was making this doll for children. How did they react to Sissy? Well, Sissy was in production for several years after her debut, so I would say that she was received quite well among her intended audiences, much like Barbie would be a few years later. She also provoked controversy when she first appeared, but ultimately what matters is what the children think, and they responded loudly with the popularity of the doll then and the popularity that persists to this day. I mean, how many collectors do we know who specialize in Sissy? 
a lot of people go into Madame Alexander precisely because of Sisti. She has had such an impact on the doll landscape. Well, her fashions are extraordinary, and for us today, they're a journey into the chic looks popular in the 1950s. Sissy has an outfit for everything, from elegant evening wear to yachting and even gardening. She echoes the looks that teens were seeing on the TV, in magazines, and in the movies. Sissy is channeling that beautiful look that we associate with the 1950s, with the nipped-in waists and the full skirts. Oh, exactly. I mean, if you look at the dresses she's wearing, the way the skirts flare out, the collars, the cut of the waist and whatnot, as you said, you see her counterparts on television and in movies. So again, she just embodies that era so beautifully. And I think what makes her so vivid for audiences is that it's in color. You know, you watch these television shows, I Love Lucy and whatnot, and they are black and white, and they're still vivacious and whatnot. But when you see something in color, That's one step closer to daily life. And Madame Alexander's sissy embodies that in miniature. She's like something that stepped straight out of a window of a high fashion department store. And it's a wonderful doll and moment in fashion. And of course, Madame was recognized by the New York Fashion Academy in 1951 for her contribution to fashion. And she was given an award for that. Yeah. Now, the fashions are absolutely exquisite on Sissy and any of the Madame Alexander dolls, really, because Alexander was, at heart, interested in fashion. She envisioned herself as a fashion designer, and dolls were the way that she was able to create these exquisite dresses and ensembles that reflect what's happening in life at that time, whether it's yachting, whether it's going to the opera, or going on a lovely picnic or shopping. Alexander had her finger on the pulse of what was appropriate to wear, and she wanted to introduce that to children so that they would confidently partake in these activities as they grew up, because they knew how to put themselves together and present themselves to the world through these dolls. Sissy was also the model for an advertising campaign for a British fragrance brand Yardley. So that's amazing. A doll is in a real-life campaign for a perfume And these ads are beautiful, and we'll be putting some of them on the website. It was just a wonderful partnership of quality between this beautiful doll and the beautiful clothes and the lovely fragrance. How did the partnership between Yardley and Sissy come about? I'm so glad you asked that question, because this was a part of my research that really fascinated me. The first time I saw these Yardley ads with Sissy posing with bars of soap and perfume and whatnot. I hadn't seen anything like it. And what's fascinating about those ads is that they speak to the modernity of Sissy herself. Yardley, by this point, I mean, it's an old company. It's been around since the 18th century. And they were looking for an ad campaign that would emphasize their modernity to younger viewers. And to them, Sissy encapsulated that. With her fashions, with her different costumes, she was the young woman of the day. And so by putting Sissy in the ad, she appealed directly to that audience. Yardley were trying to engage a a younger audience. That must have been quite a thing to see a doll and to see... Were they all going out and buying English lavender? I don't know how successful the ad was, ultimately, but I do like to imagine that it was a bit of a British invasion in its own right, in terms of, oh, well, we've got... 
we've got to get these products now, the Yardley soaps and the perfumes. I mean, if it's good enough for Sissy, it's good enough for us. Well, of course, soap is something children need soap. And so if they ask for Yardley soap and it's a lovely scent, why not? But there's a lot of those ads and it's quite hard to collect all of them. It's a rarity to get them all together. Are you going to be showing any of them in the exhibition? So what we have in the exhibition is we've illustrated one of them as a reproduction on uh, one of the text labels. So people can view it there, but they can also find them online. The quality of Sissy's Dolls and Fashions won over the doll buying public. And by 1957, Ideal Toys had launched a rival doll, Miss Revlon, and numerous imitators of Sissy were to follow. The dawn of teen culture in the late 1950s saw children evolving their own fashion and culture, listening to rock and pop music and dressing in jeans and T-shirts and saddle shoes, all trends that set them apart from adults. The stage was set for the launch of a new fashion doll. And in 1959, Barbie made her debut. Sissy went from being the toast of the toy industry in 1955 with major advertising campaigns with Evio Schwartz to just a few dolls in 1960. How were American tastes changing and was the launch of Barbie in 1959 the reason for the fall in Sissy's sales? That's an excellent question. One aspect that's always important to remember with Madame Alexander is that she never aspired to manufacture on the same scale as major toy companies like Ideal or Mattel. Her goal was to create the best quality dolls possible. So when Barbie debuted with these enormous numbers and whatnot, they have a different scope of audience in mind. Another thing to keep in mind, too, is that Alexander did rotate out dolls every few years or so, so as interests changed and whatnot. So replacing Sissy with a later model in the 60s and whatnot was not terribly unusual for the time. What made Barbie so different in terms of the scope and the influence that she had was, one, the scale of the dolls available. Because of her relatively small size and she was relatively inexpensive, more people could buy her than, say, a sissy or another Madame Alexander example. But another key part was the way they marketed the doll. Madame Alexander did not advertise directly to children. That was not her style. She tended to operate much more covertly in terms of word of mouth. If you were familiar with dolls and quality dolls especially, you knew about Madame Alexander and you knew where to go. Barbie took a different approach. She appealed directly to the kids through advertising on television. And not only through that, but Mattel decided to begin advertising year-round, as opposed to just during the holiday season, during Christmas time, for example. So television is getting popular around this time, appearing in households. And who is showing up in those households at the same time but Barbie, marketing her lifestyle. So she becomes ubiquitous in the popular visual culture in a way that Madame Alexander never did because they had fundamentally different approaches to advertising. That's true. We trace our Madame Alexander research often through the pages and advertising of, for example, F.A.O. Schwartz, where Barbie, she's in Sears Wishbook, she's in television advertising. It's an extraordinary amount of advertising that Mattel did to launch their doll. 
And we have all that wonderful archive footage and imagery to look back on today and trace the history of Barbie and how the public reacted to her. Mm -hmm. And Mattel figured out quite early on that children are remarkably persistent when they discover something that they want. So by appealing directly to them... Pester power. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I have to say that I too am guilty of pester power, especially at Christmas time. And one of the things that I've mentioned this before when I've been on a podcast with Bradley Justice Yarborough and I discuss Barbie, that Barbie's vintage dress shop is my dream item on my wish list. And recently I found her here in Vienna in the wonderful shop of Doctor. It's a doll's hospital and the wonderful expert Manfred Reichel. And I went to see him to get a doll repaired. And I looked up and out of the corner of my eye, Barbie's vintage fashion shop. Oh, my gosh. And, and I just couldn't think. My heart was beating so fast. And I said, Manfred, is it for sale? He said, yes. And I said, my husband has to get this for me for Christmas. So it is my dream. And so I understand how children use pester power. And folks... Hopefully my pester power will work out and I'll get this fabulous item for Christmas. So I hate to say it, but pester power, it starts in childhood, but it's an element of persistence that won't go away. If you really want something, if something is your dream, you won't give up on it. And I think they did create this amazing energy around Barbie, and especially the advertising campaigns on TV. They made her feel real. And that was the thing, I think, that really went right into children's living rooms and said, you've got to have it. When we compare Barbie and Sissy's wardrobe, when we see Barbie's beautiful clothes, she's dressed as a bride, evening gowns, she hits all the right notes. And of course, Sissy had an incredible wardrobe, as we discussed. But Barbie was just as at home in an elegant gown for prom as she was in a cheerleader outfit. Did Barbie's teen appeal give her an edge on Sissy? It's a great question. Because on the one hand, Sissy is also an adolescent herself. But I think you're right in terms of what really stands out with Barbie is her ability to assume just about any identity whether it is a cheerleader partaking in Friday night football or a debutante at the opera. She can take on whatever role the child playing with her wants her to be. And that was Ruth Handler's objective in designing Barbie. She wanted to create a doll that could take on any role that their child imagined. So she can be anything. It's always been part of her message. She She can be a debutante. She can go to the opera or the theater or whatnot. Or she can go with you to the library or hang out with you in your college dorm. Or she can pursue a career. She can take on anything. And I think it was that versatility that really helped her stand out. I think it's that versatility that has helped her stand out today. And also that Barbie can be anybody and any shape, size. And I think Ruth's vision still is speaking to children. Oh, yes, because it's, it's so important to feel seen in the world in which you live, and especially in the dolls that you play with. And if you can see yourself in that doll, it makes that connection so much more powerful. It's true. And I think 
The dolls reflect the changes in society and the way we view ourselves. Today, Barbie doll comes in all shapes and sizes and ethnicities. When children come together and play dolls, the doll is something that unites them and allows them to discuss how they're alike and how they're different. Sissy and Barbie were both launched in the 1950s when high-heeled shoes were the big fashion trend. If you've seen Barbie the movie, you'll know a key scene is where Barbie discovers she has transformed from being on tiptoe in high heel feet to a down-to-earth flat foot. Why did both Ruth Handler and Madame Alexander decide to give children a doll with high heel feet? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. As somebody who wears trainers almost exclusively now, thanks to a foot injury I had in my 20s. Uh, I wear so. them now. Comfort, please. <laughs> give me comfort. Let's hear it for comfort. <laughs> yes. But I think it's important to remember the context in terms of how do you perform femininity in the mid to late 1950s. And heels were an indispensable part of that image. And for Madame Alexander especially, she was appealing to children through this appeal to adulthood. as She was thinking about little girls and how they play dress up. Think of the the little girls who borrow their mother's shoes, who take down the dresses and wrap them around themselves in them, and are dressing up like their mothers in this emulation of adulthood. So she was channeling that when she was creating Sissy and other fashion dolls in terms of here is a doll again who can be your guide into adulthood, who can help you play act it out and anticipate what will happen in a few years. And I think Barbie's doing the same thing to a degree in terms of, again, taking on this form of a teenager, you know, this middle ground between childhood and adulthood, someone that you can still relate to as a child, but also is looking more like a grown-up, that bridge between the two. So I think they were very much channeling that. And in the context of the 50s, the high heel was a way of signifying that, your transition into adulthood. So I think back to something my own mother told me about my great-grandmother. When she came of age in the late 19-teens, early 1920s, she remarked that when you turned 16, your skirts went down and your hair went up. And that was how you signal to the world that you would become an adult. And I think in a lot of ways, Sissy and Barbie are modeling that same transition, but through the medium of the high heel instead. I agree with that. I'm, almost, I'm always fascinated by pictures of my grandmother because the hair went up, the skirts went down. But a couple of years later, they often bobbed their hair and the skirts went up. And often fashion is saying so much, and, and they were working young women of their day. And it says so much about our image as women and what happens and how quickly it can change. Oh, yes. There's a phrase that I always, I always quake a little when I hear it, and it's the phrase timeless, because nothing is truly timeless, in my opinion. Everything is subject to change. And even the fashions of Madame Alexander or Barbie from the 50s, they're not timeless. They're very much speaking to a particular moment in terms of what's available in terms of materials, what they're looking at in terms of historical influences, very much an encapsulation of a specific moment. This Madame Alexander exhibition at the Barry is a wonderful example of how dolls reflect our fashion and society and the changes we've gone through over the years.
Sarah, a new Barbie doll, has joined the collection at the Barry Art Museum, and she's a number one Barbie in pristine condition with her wardrobe and a great story. And this doll, I believe, is now on display at the Barry Art Museum. Sarah, tell us all about her. Oh, thank you so much for asking about her. She is at the museum, and I have seen her in person, and she is as exquisite as you can imagine. Her provenance is wonderful, staying with the same family from when she was purchased up through the present time. I mean, how, how rare is that? There's such a wonderful connection between the doll and family history. What I love about this piece is the context under which she was acquired. Her mother purchased her at an Easter parade event in New York. The Easter parade, you know, think about, think about that movie with Fred Astaire and Judy Garland. You know, that event. And here's this Barbie. And she is in such beautiful condition. Because she still retains her box, she has her wardrobe, her skin is as full and as flush as it would have been in 1959. She looks astounding. Her wardrobe is to die for in terms of the types of clothes that she has. The bridal gown, evening cocktail dresses, it's all there. The box itself, 1950s graphic design for Barbie is fascinating in terms of the drawings that you see on the cardboard boxes, and it's all there. And she just provides this wonderful encapsulation of not only Barbie as, as a fashion icon and as an object of material culture, but also a family history. And I think that's a really important point to emphasize with these dolls. Because for so many people, our childhoods are entwined with dolls. Our family memories are wrapped up in dolls, whether they are the ones that we played with as children or what our parents had and passed on to us. And so to have that intimate family history linked with the permanent collection too, it's such a special occasion and we're so delighted to have it join our own history as it continues to unfold. It's the most beautiful moment in time. And to think that a child got this wonderful doll, I believe the doll was bought at Macy's in New York, and that they kept it in such pristine condition. I mean, how did it happen? It's the most wonderful thing. All I have to say is bless them, because I remember how I was with my Barbies. <laughs> Let's just say you will never find them in a museum. <laughs> I know most of us have, as a, another quote from the movie, Weird Barbie. The one at <laughs> yes. the bottom of the toy box where you decided, wouldn't it be great if I changed her makeup and why don't I cut her hair? Yeah. My little sister did that to several of my Barbies. She was very artistic. <laughs> I, well, I wasn't too pleased with the results, but, you know, Punk was in at the time, and I saw what she was going for. And instead, this extraordinary doll is here, just in a way kind of untouched by time. I feel like you're, you're reaching back into the 1950s, and it's here in front of you. It's immediate, and it's in full color, as you mentioned earlier. It's extraordinary. So she is on exhibition currently in the Doll Gallery. Is she yes. on display? Yes, she is. And if you're in town, please come visit her. She is such an exceptional opportunity. Well, it's a long flight from Austria, but it's a journey I've got to make, Sarah. Someday we have to meet in person and we have to take a tour of all these extraordinary dolls because we've had such a wonderful time talking about them. And of course, 
Barbie, you can see the Madame Alexander exhibition on at the Barry Museum until, I believe it's December, isn't it, Sarah? Yes, it will be on view until December 31st. Fantastic. Oh, well, I hope all of you go and see it and you can get links and more information on our website. You know, when I reflect on Barbie versus Sissy, I feel that both dolls are a winner in the fashion doll stakes and hold a special place in collectors' and children's hearts. Sarah Woodbury, thank you so much for joining us on the Doll Podcast, sharing all this wonderful detail about Barbie and Sissy. And everybody, remember, tune in to part one of this podcast if you want to find out more about Madame Alexander dolls at the Barry Art Museum. Sarah Woodbury, thank you once again for this wonderful conversation. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us on the Doll Podcast. To find out more about the Barry Art Museum's exhibition, just go to our website, www.dollpodcast.com. We'll have all the links, photographs, and information for you there. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as The Doll Podcast. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you find your podcasts. 